Welcome back to New Persuasive Words. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. And Bill, here we are on a Monday, 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 Monday na, afternoon. Na, 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 Who sings Monday, Monday? Uh, Mamas and Papas. All right. Well, I like that. Yeah. So we are starting our, our theology brief, the, our theology and outline series, which we're, where we will be putting Brian Garish's short theology and outline in conversation with Robert Jensen's, uh, what is the, the title is? Can These Bones Live? A Theology and Outline. The subtitle is, yeah, Can These Bones Live? And as a bo- backdrop to our own idiosyncratic way of thinking about the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Right. So we were thinking like everybody's doing Reformation 500 things. And, everybody's talking at me. But nobody's talking at you. I can't hear a word they're saying. I'm sorry. I've just been doing, it must be the Novocaine. I've got all these old songs that are coming into my head. Oh, Jason Michelle has commented on your clothing on <laughs> Facebook Live. So, as is per and that, the podcast can begin. Thank you, Jay. I, you know, of all of all the things you care about, I, my clothing. I really appreciate that. It's something to to note. Maybe you know, you know how you get like sometimes you get an email in the morning, like Richard Rohr sends one. You get one from the Enneagram. Maybe Michelle can send me. Thoughts on what to wear today, Bill? I could use that. I could use all the help I could get. So, and I bet he'd be willing to do it. Uh, he seems uh, like he's, he's a T-shirt. Monday must be his Sabbath. <laughs> what do you mean? This is this is uh, what I wear to board meetings. So, yes. At any rate, we should uh, jump into. This. So there we go. So yeah. we we thought about that we would put these things because it's interesting too because both of these thinkers are. Similar generation, about the same age. They're both older gentlemen. They're both have had distinguished yeah. theological careers. They both come from Reformation traditions. Brian Garrish is a Presbyterian, and Jensen is a Lutheran. But they're both ecumenically minded. Yeah, and they've put you know they both put together late in life you know a sort a brief theolo- you know theo- theological works that are that are purposefully brief. Yeah. Which is yeah, a I virtue. Think, yeah. And, and actually they both are really good at it. I mean, I think um, it's much harder to write something succinctly than to, to write lots of pages. Um, and so we are going to, we're going to pretty much follow this in order. So if someone asked last week after, after, after Saturday's podcast, we will be kind of, if those of you who want to read along and follow along, we will be kind of following, I guess, the order of the book now. Yeah, we'll try to. I mean, we'll like, try to, yeah. as, as much as we can, yeah. because you know, part of the challenge is also is, and, and this is what's interesting is they are ordered slightly differently, and yes. mm-hmm. and so we'll be talking about to some degree also like, does that matter? For instance, Garish quite consciously puts his doctrine of election with the doctrine of the church, right, as opposed to someone like Calvin who puts it in how in the section of how we receive the benefits of Christ. So he's you know, sometimes when theologians make moves like that, they're ver- they're quite intentional. Absolutely, and absolutely, yeah. So, so we can probably learn some from the arrangement. So to yes, say. but today we're going to talk about the talk. We're going to talk about the talk. We're talking the talk. <laughs> we're not walking the walk, although we are both standing. Yeah, yeah. So how what is what does it mean to do dogmatics? What actually is 
the whole nature of even even theology. I mean, I, I love I love in uh, the first chapter in Jensen where he basically defines what the theological task is is that what you do between hearing the gospel and speaking about the gospel. Yeah, I, I think so. First of all, Jensen defines the church in one page. Yeah, <laughs> which which is so interesting because. He's like, look, we could have all these different conceptions of sacramental this right. or this. And he says, well, basically, what everybody can grow is a church is a community with a message. Right. I love that he says every community thinks about what they're doing from the group Elks Club at the bar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. So, uh, so I like that. So I think that that Jensen thinks that the church is a community with a message, and that a particular what, message, yeah, a particular message. And so point from he goes, you know, an A to B, like goes, you know. You, you, like this original community hears it and tells another group and then B to C and in between B to C, right? Like that. Yeah. The theology is what you do in between the reception and the telling. And I would like to say that I think a particular challenge to the 21st American church is there needs to be a whole lot more going on between the hearing and the telling. <laughs> telling yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause there's, cause I think, uh, I think this is a particularly, uh, you know, I guess maybe every age we all have a tendency to think dramatically about our own age, you know, pick a time. Um, I think probably if you're in 1940 England, that's a pretty dramatic time, you know, yeah. if you're in, uh, in, in 1918, uh, you know, anywhere in Europe, that's a pretty, you know, incredible time. But I do think it seems to me that the fragmentation of Protestantism, the whatever is going on at the end of the Protestant project, that doesn't mean it's over, but there's a certain kind of there's a certain kind of terminus that's happening to a lot of different of the reformational sects. This is not Protestantism's finest hour. No, it's not. So I and I think it's one of those times when we really need really clear and grounded theological thinking and discourse, you have seminary education collapsing. Uh, you have people who want to replace seminary curriculum with marketing strategies. <laughs> I mean, literally, I'm just making that up. That actually was a proposal that we saw, you know. And so— Can, we, can you make more money doing that? <laughs> so I think what you do from the hearing of the gospel to the proclamation of the gospel— uh, is is it's really important for us to take some time to rethink that and reground that. Yeah. So this is, and I think you know, people could do much worse than Jensen or or Garish, you know. For what, what we, did did Bill do? What? What am I being asked? The trouble is, I'm distracted when we're on Facebook because you, people are uh, people are asking the, the question was. I'm trying to get it from my iPad. Chris O'Donnell says, "Yo, preach," and then he says, oh, "I can't. I'm not really." Bill, no. Did Bill grow his hair into braids? No, he did not. <laughs> no, he has not. Thank you. That's an important question, and uh, I wish I had enough hair to, to braid it. And but uh, but thank you, thank you. If, uh, if we could do one of those uh, Patreon accounts for tra hair transplant, hair for Bill, transplant for Bill would, be, would be wonderful. <laughs> so so I'm struck. First of all, if we're talking about what is theology, Jensen's answer is much less formal. Yes. Than. Garishes, right? So Jensen says it's it's the thinking between the sort of hearing and the telling. And, and I actually think, all right, here, and I think each of them have their advantage. I think what's really helpful about Jensen's is that in an era where you have leading Christians and many people who are starting churches, many people in churches who don't think theology is important, okay, 
if you put it that simply, that's something that's accessible to everybody, and it, and it's and it's commonsensical. Yeah, I need to. It just doesn't. It just doesn't happen that my hearing or even my encounter with the living God, it, it's not automatically how to talk about that. And uh, you know, it's, it's, I'm I'm teaching. I just found out today. I'm I'm teaching intro to church history next week uh, at a seminary, and. Um, you know, one of the things I was thinking about, how do you re-engage people with the task of church history? Some seminaries are even dumbing, so dumbed down that they don't even have a church history class anymore. And, you know, one of the things is, why do we care about Ancestry.com? Right, right. And I think because we, it, it, there's something about knowing where you come from that is important because where our genetic makeup comes from is a living reality. Every matter of fact, I just got my teeth cleaned. And they said, well, maybe one of those problems is genetic. So it's both in... What makes us up? Our chemistry, maybe some of the risk that we have, uh, maybe some of the problems. How often are you flossing? All right, I know I need to floss more, but also daily, <laughs> daily. What particular traits maybe helped your your line survive where others did not? I think all those, both the risk and reward of understanding where you come from, um, is is part of why what the theological task is, you know, and. It's, you know, what's, you know, you're just not thinking in a vacuum. And I think, so on some levels, that's the strength of Jensen's yeah, definition. And, 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 you know, Jensen, it's interesting too, both of these works came out of teaching. Like, yeah. like Garish has for years taught a class at University of Chicago where he read John Calvin and Schleiermacher and their theological primary text, the Institutes of the Christian Faith, and with the idea to teaching people how to think constructively. Jensen's came out of a class at Princeton University to undergrads, yeah. many of whom were not Christians. Right. So on one level, yeah, I do think Jensen's first chapter is incredibly accessible, not exceedingly technical. Uh, yeah, no, and I think that, yeah, it's, but it's, it's for thinking people. And uh, I mean, again, the task, I remember something, I can't remember where I heard this, so I can't give credit to it, but the idea is everyone's a theologian. The question is how sound or how, you know, how conversant or how what kind of theologian you are is really the challenge. Now, what about, what about Garrett? I think Garrett, obviously Garrett gives a much more extensive definition. Yeah, I mean, he thinks that, well, first off, the subject matter of dogmatics, he says, Christian dogmatics is part of Christian theology has for its subject matter in his mind, the distinctively Christian way of having faith, in which elemental faith, which he thinks is the kind of faith you need to just, you know, get past Descartes' problem, does the external world exist, and why should society be moral, and why is the right. physical order predictable so we can do things like science, which elemental faith is confirmed, specified, and represented as filial trust in God, the Father of Jesus Christ. So that's a pretty specific. I mean, there's a sense in which it's it's still a thinking thing. It's the between the point B right. and C. But he does think that that and it's also interesting because here he's he's saying that theology is its subject matter is not necessarily uh God, but the distinctively Christian way of having faith in God. Hmm. Yeah. Well, and I guess in some levels that's locating it in something that we have more access to. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Rather than get, you know, I, I think it's almost a corrective, and we'll have to see where this goes, but, you know, sometimes, historically, theology had a tendency to, to get philosophical, you know, and there's nothing wrong with being philosophical, but theology, Christian theology, is really grounded in the story. It's grounded in the in the faith story of a people. And, uh, and you know, again, going back to 
kicking back to Jensen, it's a particular people. You have to, for Jensen, you have to start with, you have to, you know, if the God of Israel or the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the one who raised Jesus from the dead, then first of all, you have to figure out who this God of Israel is, and you have to ask who Israel is first. Yeah, and he thinks that question in Ezekiel is key in the book of Ezekiel at the end where can these dry can these bones live? Like that this is that the resurrection is the answer, the resurrection of Jesus is the answer to God's own question to Ezekiel at the end of Ezekiel. And so he it's a very interesting and he says, you know, the fact that this happened, the original disciples thought this is of some consequence. <laughs> Not just for us, but for the world. And so that's how this story kind of starts. Yeah. Where it sees in some levels, um, Gary, she's starting more in something that's even more um, more eminent to to us. You know, I mean, I think you will we will point this out along the way. But when it's all said and done, Jensen is more squarely, I think, in the great the great tradition in terms of how he talks about faith. Ultimately, he you know builds his ground upon the resurrection of Christ, same place where where Paul does. You know, at least the the witness to the resurrection. And if it's good enough for the Apostle Paul, it's good enough for Jensen, and good enough for me too. I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it because of the conversations you find? Gracious conversations characterized by a particular combination of wit, empathy, reflection, and human understanding. If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month? Or more, it's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going, and you can help launch several other podcast projects I've got in the works. Being a Patreon sponsor is really just you being a patron of an art form you enjoy and are passionate about. So I invite you to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David and Winona Babico, Peter Stegenwald, Samantha Blythe, Sari Graham, Jordan and Danny Morseberger, Josh Redder, Ellis Brazil, and David Zoll. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening, and now back to the show. And then, you know, it's interesting because Garish's third thesis, uh, The Method of Dogmatics, it says, Christian dogmatics test the proper doctrine of faith, redemption, and the theistic doctrine of faith presupposed therein, creation, both by Christian tradition, which interprets the apostolic witness to Jesus Christ, and by present-day thought and experience, insofar as they call for reinterpreting the tradition. Yeah, and which that's something we really we touched on. Now, um, the idea that, for instance, justification by faith in the Luther sense of it really spoke to a said need of his time. Okay, it didn't happen in vacuum. It just wasn't an academic discourse. Even though it starts out, it's it's ironic that you know the, the ninety five thesis is an academic discourse, but that academic discourse came out of his own seeking of assurance of grace and his pastoral anger at the indulgences that were being sold and what that how that preyed upon people 
uh, and that that was something he just couldn't control his own parish because even though they were not allowed to happen in his parish, uh, people were leaving and going next door where, you know, in the, in the neighborhoods where this was happening. So, you know, the Reformation was driven by, you know, it was an academic discussion starting, but it was, it was pushed by both the existential crisis, I would say the spiritual existential crisis of the late medieval period. Luther was not alone in his struggling on how, how can we be saved or can anyone be saved as well as the pastoral concern of how do we really bring the true gospel to the people? Yeah, and you know, it's interesting because for for Garish, my sense is well, I mean, I think Jensen it's I posted something that Peter Leihart wrote last week, I think, that I thought was excellent. It was called Evangel Evangelizing Metaphy Metaphysics. And Leihart was saying he names Jensen some other people people that have thought, well, hey, look, the way we think about reality has to be adequately shaped by the story of Israel and Jesus, as we find it in Holy Scripture. And a lot of our conceptualities have just been borrowed sometimes uncritically, or not critically enough, from philosophical schemas, many of which have their origins in antiquity, uh, and that maybe we need to actually interrogate those paradigms a little more, so because sometimes they box us into telling when we're trying to tell the story because they they make some presuppositions that the story itself doesn't presuppose. I think Garish is 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 much more concerned to integrate. I mean, they're both moderns, right? They both believe yeah. in critical inquiry and things like that. Uh, but and they're, and they're both aware of the postmodern moment, right? But but I think that Garish is a little more concerned. With and in fact, Garish even says that that he wrote a book called Tradition in the Modern World. He said, "Where we're Luther's in the 16th century, its concern was sort of rediscovering what central and life giving at the heart of the tradition." Garish thinks that the pressing need is much more: how does a tradition like this exist in the modern world, which is very different because of things like science and historical criticism and things, and things like that. So I think that that I mean I think that question in having a kind of conciliatory relationship with modern critical thinking in both science and humanities it seems a little more urgent to Garish. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting it seems to be already I mean we we're, we haven't mentioned him because that's not what this is set up. But Halleck already seems to have made he's already baptized the current time. Yeah, I also think that Halik is closer to Jensen than Garish on these questions. I, I do too. But uh, here's an interesting thing. I mean, is this part of the Protestant versus Catholic it might be. ethos? Because, you know, Catholicism has doesn't seem to have a problem of baptizing culture. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. almost built into the thing. <clears throat> Whereas it seems like either, either Protestantism sometimes either has to be over against it. I mean, I don't, I'm, I don't want to do the, you know, I don't want to do H. Uh, Richard Niebuhr thing here, but I do think sometimes either Protestantism so identifies with it, or it's in contrary, you know, in contrast to it, that sometimes it has a little. It, it sees the struggle maybe in starker terms. That that may not be fair, but sometimes I think that historically, this idea of okay, all truth is God's truth. It's ours now. I mean, you know. For Halleck almost, you know, for all intents and purposes, baptizes Nietzsche, you know, <laughs> and 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 it's convincing. He's convincing in it, you know. I mean, he lets Nietzsche integrity, but he takes Nietzsche, and it reminds me a little bit of what Simone Weil does. You know, he takes the what would be the the absence of God or the abandonment of God, and actually ties it into one of the most important 
the often neglected understandings of God in the history of Christianity. Yeah, I think also Halik is, is much more of a critic of late modernity than Garish is. I mean, not that Garish is uncritical, but I, I think Halik... I mean, he's a fan too. I mean, he's not a, he's not, he doesn't have an adversarial relationship with Lee Marmot, but I think he is, uh, he, I mean, he, he's more worldly and yet his critiques strike me as, as also deep of, 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 I mean, it's, Halik is just an interesting. Well, yeah, the, the world looks a lot different if you're a tenured professor at University of Chicago than if you're having to hide your ordination under the communist rule. In the, that's fair. In the, in the that's Czechoslovakia. Fair. That's fair. <laughs> so, I mean, modernity. I remember the movie Stripes where they're like, look, we have to go through Czechoslovakia where they had the Czechoslovakia. It's, come on. It's like nothing. It's like going to Wisconsin. I once got the shit kicked out of me in Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. 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 Speaking of, uh, now I won't get off on that, but uh, uh, Berkeley, get a life. Come on. <laughs> you know, good grief. It's called freedom of speech. Good grief! But but you know, I actually think what, what I've learned—it's okay. Berkeley can yeah, it does need a good life. Uh, I I think that what so what I what I learned I think what I've liked most from reengaging Garish is this elemental faith conception. And you, like we talked about last time, where he said, yeah. "Hey, look, the world doesn't the the context that the Gospels received <laughs> is not the tortured religious psyche of Luther." Yeah, uh, it's more like the the problem of nihilism and this elemental faith, where you kind of take for granted that the world's an orderly place, right. it's present to us as orderly and rational, that we have a series of oughts that that is meaningful in the moral life shared together as a human community. That what happens in late modernity is you can quickly become nihilistic because sometimes when people are critical of these things, it's hard to ground them. And then, and, and so Garish thinks actually that Christian faith builds upon that elemental faith and strengthens it, specifies it, personalizes right. it. Uh, and so I think that's a very interesting concept. And I, I think that it, it seems to me, and again, you look at, he's, he, he's a guy that was a Schleiermacher scholar and Schleiermacher had, as well as a Calvin scholar, but Schleiermacher had a great interest in bridging the church and the academy. And I think that you see that, I mean, Garish, is, is, is his theological instincts are such that he can engage the whole liberal arts kind of, the whole academic right. community in the way he opens his theology. Like he, he, right. he consciously no. frames it in relationship to other intellectual pursuits in the modern world. So that would make him similar to Halleck. Yeah, right, yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, his, his methodology is similar that way, which I think that's, I think both of them are, make them very useful. Oh, uh, absolutely! Yeah, they're not. They're not just doing hot house theology. No, yeah, I, but yeah, and I think and Halik is. You know, the other thing is he's. I mean, well, both Jensen and Halik. I mean, Halik's not writing a dogmatics, but their their language. I mean, Garish is a great writer, but the the form the the sort of form of Garish's book is more formal. I mean, it's right. it's more attending to the formal language of the discipline of kind of Christian theology, right? As opposed to Jensen is a little more freeform. And and I think the style is a little more aesthetically well, engaging. And, yeah, and, and we also have to remember, again, as you just reiterate the context, Jensen, this was this was taken from lectures. Right, and to undergrads. Yeah. But I still think if you go back to his systematics, it's a unique, his, the way Jensen, uh, he's still one of my favorites, uh, his systematics one and two 
or something everybody should have on their yeah. shelves. All thinking Christian. It presupposes a little bit though. When you read it, it does. You've got to. You've got to. Part of the reason the economy of scale is he assumes you know stuff. You, you got it. Yeah. I mean, you you, <laughs> you 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 have to. Rusty Reno said he would teach. He would use that to teach advanced undergrads because like you read that and just explaining all the things you can teach them the whole tradition just explaining what Jensen's assuming. <laughs> but they don't understand the yeah. Jensen. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. No, a lot of backfill has to go on, but that's that's okay. So talking about the talk. So we, each of them have kind of a unique starting place. Um, I think and what's, what's, what's helpful about both of them, they're both context in, in our own time. I think getting back to, um, you, you know, it seems to me that probably the last thing you want to do if you're in the tradition of the Reformed faith is to pick a particular year or century and just live there. Yeah. I mean, that's part of it. Which I'm, many people do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in other words, you know, in terms of, um, what would make, you know, what, uh, I mean, those of you who, who make yourselves Lutherans may have to deal with the wrath of Luther when you get to heaven. <laughs> and same thing with Calvinists. And I think what happens often with these. And for the Calvinists, it's weird. It's the 17th century. Yeah, that's it's, it, yeah. It, it, it is. I mean, it is that Westminster kind of seventeenth century, or it even happens with the Dutch. You know, the yeah, oh yeah, yeah the Dutch. Yeah. yeah, it's the late. You know, the you already have it with the Synod of Dort, and and uh, it would have been much better if they talked to, to Calvin instead of Beza. But uh, you know, <laughs> that's the way it goes. You know, but so you've already got it's already become something. Um, again, I'm not saying Calvin is not. I mean, Calvin has his. There, you know, it's like a cathedral sometimes reading Calvin, and it has its own weaknesses and things. But um, it's the students of Calvin, I think, that create more problems for it. And so I do, you know, this phrase can be used in misuse, but, you know, the Reformed and always reforming. If the desire and if the initial drive of the evangelical faith of the 16th century was to reapply themselves to the primitive gospel or the true preaching of the gospel and, and reaffirm the incarnation and the cross, what that meant, then you can't be lazy and just pick a particular century and stay there. So each, you know, the Westminster Catechism, a beautiful, it's a beautiful um, 17th century document. I, I, I don't know if I'd call it beautiful. I, I, think, I think it has some beauty to it. I think it has some beauty to it. All right. I mean, I, I'm not saying I'm against it. I'm saying I, 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 I mean, I think George Herbert's poetry is beautiful. Okay. But you have to appreciate it in, right. this, in the context of 17th century. But it's a 17th century document and written in the backdrop of a polemic and a thing and a movement that didn't work out so well if you do your history. So, at any rate. So I just think that's, those are important things to do. I mean, you know, I, I do. You know, one of the things uh, you and I have talked about that we think is a future topic. Um, when a particular, like evangelicalism and fundamentalism, uh, when it tied its life to the you know the evolution debate, you know, in the Scopes Monkey trial, that set the movement underground for a number of decades. Um, I think with the total embracing of Donald Trump, that movement may be maybe setting itself up for the same thing. But you can point to different points where evangelical or, or liberal Protestantism married the wrong thing as well. Oh, oh absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, and I think this is where both Jensen and Garrish are important because we're still figuring out the kind of late modern project and how to think about the faith and thinking about the A, B to C, like what we think about, you know, and how to think before we speak. 
and pass on the gospel, uh, you know, in worship and in mission in the world. And so I think that people that take modernity seriously and yet also are are people that are masters of the tradition. I mean, they they love the the tradition, right? And, and want to take our context seriously for the love of it, so that it can continue to. Can these bones live? You know, can 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 is this message that the church that creates the church, according to Jensen, is it still one that conti- that continues to live and and be a living word? Yeah, I think that's a great point, and I think you know. Going back to the original talk about the talk, you know, in terms of you understand when you hear the gospel, okay, you're hearing a message that has been shaped and conditioned by 2,000 years of preaching, okay? What goes on from the hearing of it, and when you get ready to speak, has to not only take into account all that goes into that, but uh, what is the good news today? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I completely agree, which is it's just kind of what I was trying to get out in that Game of Thrones piece, that that, that we, you know— a lot of the struggles of these characters in the show are late modern struggles. <laughs> yeah, they, they really are. I think it's a great piece. Read the piece. And also— And that just means, too, that you're—somebody said that, you know, how can a Christian watch Game of Thrones? I think Kevin— you know, How can you not? This is—so <laughs> that's the other backdrop. Jensen, Garish, and a little bit of Game of Thrones. And, well, it's, it, it, you had the freedom to watch it, the freedom not to watch it. Try not to judge each other out there, brother. But if you want to get along with us, watch it. No. But I will say— <laughs> You know, this project, you, you, you've gotten a sense we're in process on this. So we're only a chapter ahead of you guys on this or a couple chapters ahead. So we really engage with us, ask your questions, give us your feedback, um, give us your ideas. Uh, we, we love for this to be a, a communal uh, journey uh, as we look at these two great thinkers. And obviously, we can't keep ourselves. At least I couldn't keep Halleck out of discussion. Absolutely. So, All right. Thank you. And we look forward to the continued journey on this. Yeah. God bless.
Yes. 